That'll be our outro. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of every episode. Hoya! Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm done listening. Oh, man. (laughs) You can't be done. You have to listen to yourself again. No, that won't happen. Yes. Ew. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, And as always, I have Evan Roosh with me today. Hey, everyone. And we got Drew Schrader back for episode two of the Yorkshire Ripper. Hey, everybody. Whoa, is he the first uh, two-time guest? Keezen was on twice, right? Ah. Not back-to-back, though, so oh. you got back-to-back episodes. Yeah, so get can... out of here, Keys. Yep. <laughs> yeah, little guy. How's it feel? How's oh, it feel to be back? I'm happy. It's kind of fun, a little scary. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just shake those nerves out, yeah, you know? Yeah. Or a shake couple it more off. beers. Yep, that's all it takes. <laughs> a little liquid courage, you know? Oh, yeah. How are you boys doing today? Good, good. Had a short day at work, so got a little nap in and... So you're just ready to go? Stopped on over, yeah. Rockin' and rollin'. Yeah, I've been good today, too. The uh, old puppy got her second round of puppy shots today, so she's just been very chill this afternoon. Yeah. When I walked just in, she didn't snuggly. like attack me this time, so right? I was yeah, like, she, something's going on. She always wants to pretty much only jump on you. I don't know what it is, but I guess Here's, she's... I'm just that cool guy that she likes just that darn cute i'm the cool <laughs> uncle have you been giving my daughter beer <laughs> maybe did she tell you <laughs> yeah she said arf oh i'm a bit tired today honestly i was up watching midsummer last night i finally watched that movie good movie and then i woke up at like 1 a.m and like couldn't stop coughing <laughs> so that was nice and then it stormed really bad i'm glad i'm uh sitting right across from you it's not really that i'm sick it's just like i had like that scratchy in my throat and my my room was really dry for some reason so i was just like couldn't stop coughing so i made myself some tea with honey in it at like 1 30 in the morning went to bed for another hour and then went to work i had to wake i woke up early for work today because of those uh thunderstorms we had yeah tornado warnings all around yeah i didn't even know we had tornado warnings i just slept through like most of it Oh, yeah. I, I did too. Like, thank goodness, like, Zuki really doesn't get spooked by those because I'm sure I would have been up. But <laughs> my bedroom is literally right next to that tree in my front yard. Yeah. And there was a split second where, like, I heard just massive winds. I'm like, I should probably move just in case. <laughs> and then I fell back asleep. It's like, well, man. Sounds eh. like a lot of work. Right. But yeah, I watched Midsummer last night for the first time. And I came to the conclusion that I think we should start our own little commune for this. And just have live podcasts at our commune. I have not seen that movie, so well, I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Just know that there's a commune in it. and I like the part where uh, all... Don't spoil all, anything for Evan. Whatever. There's a bunch of naked... Whoa. <laughs> well. <laughs> there's a bunch of naked chicks in there just making a bunch of noises. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I was freaked out. I, I it's a know. very unsettling movie. Oh, I was terrified. <laughs> oh, it's one of those movies that like just doesn't let you like it's, be comfortable. It's yeah, weird. Pretty much. It's weird. Yeah, it's not really like your traditional horror movie. It's kind of just really unsettling. Mm-hmm. And like very, it's very. It doesn't hold any punches. It just has a lot of graphic scenes. Yeah. Mm. So, have you seen Hereditary? I have not. Okay. Me well, neither. The same guy that wrote and directed that did Midsummer too. So, it's always so curious. Like those like famous horror story tellers. Like, there's got to be a little something something off about them. 
A little. Well, this guy, I like read uh, a little article about how they finished the movie, and apparently they finished it like the day before they were supposed to have their L.A. release. Like he spent 23 and a half hours finishing everything up before and then flew to L.A. And he was like, it's weird to have finished a movie the day before and already have people telling me what they think about it. Yeah. But I was, was like, that for that, Hereditary? For Midsummer. Midsummer. okay. I was like, that's that's dedication right there. Yeah, holy cow. Also, talk about, like, time crunch. Did you just, like, hand them a flash drive? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Here you go, teacher. Upload to Amazon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, was right. it Hulu or Amazon? Uh, I, don't, I think it was in theaters because this was in 2019. What? It was, like, before oh. everything got shut down. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so. Good movie, though. I liked it a lot. Thank you. But anyways... Enough about enough about that, Drew. You were saying something about some TikToks you were oh, watching, okay. huh? Yeah, well, it was about the storms last night. Uh, oh, okay. Well, we had a bunch of tornadoes, or we had tornado warnings, and I was flipping through TikTok, and it was a Wisconsin guy. This he said, "This is how Wisconsin people uh, react to storms." He was like, "Hey, honey, I'm uh, gonna go watch the st- the tornado come." Cracks a beer, walks out on the porch, and sipping and watching the tornadoes. Oh yeah, (laughs) that's like the most relatable thing. Oh yeah, everyone in Wisconsin does that. It's like tornado warning. Ooh, gets a little close. You go to your bathroom. Yeah, still with the beer in your hand. (laughs) Uh, If Mark was here, he'd probably tell this story. But we, me, and another buddy of ours, Teddy, visited Mark at their cabin. That's like not even an hour away from here. And there's a big storm one night. We were there. So we just went out on like right at the edge of the pier and just watched it from the edge of the pier. It was over the lake and stuff. It was just like this is typical Wisconsin yep. attitude for storms. Dangle but... your toes in the water? No, 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 <laughs> none of that. All yeah, right, it was a full entire leg. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're done with TikTok corner, yeah, I think sorry. it's time for trivia. Oh boy, who wants to start it off this week? I'll start it off. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, now Evan. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, we're back at Skateland. So my question for you two gents is, what was the first British colony in America? Was it A, Jamestown, B, Port Royal, C, Salem, or D, Roanoke, oh. with the infamous John White. John White. Oh yeah, I am gonna say Jamestown. Jamestown, Andrew. <laughs> well, I want to follow up on Jacob there because uh, he knows a lot more about history. <laughs> but uh, what was the third option? Salem. Yeah, I like that one. So the correct answer was Jamestown. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you should have gone with me. I actually I knew, knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, you enjoy that menthol mint. (laughs) Jacob, you can go while I'm taking this. All right, all right. So, during the medieval era, what was one of the odd currencies used? A, bat guano, B, eels, C, horseshoes, or D, aloe plants? Ooh, I'm going to go D, aloe plants. What was the first one? Do you say bat? Bat guano. It's like bat guano. Yeah, it's used as fertilizer. It's oh poop. Yep. What's the <laughs> Um I'm gonna say horseshoes. Alright. I hope you both enjoy those shots. The correct answer is eels. Oh. Eels. So there's 
a uh, a record that survived that shows someone once rented land for twenty six thousand two hundred and seventy five eels. So, like, living? I have no or idea. Or just <laughs> electric? They just I guess them. he just had a stockpile of eels laying around. Just that has to be the deal of a century. I would assume that he was just like, okay, I'm gonna pay this loan back in eels and just would bring eels every so often, but either that or this guy just somehow had 26,000 eels laying around. Just, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, good for him, I guess. I mean, if you got it, you might as well use them. And you said this was in, like, Europe? Yeah, it was in medieval Europe. They had eels in Europe? I'm sure they could find them somewhere. <laughs> hmm. Apparently they did. Apparently they had twenty six thousand just hanging out. <laughs> the only twenty six thousand in Europe. That's why. That's why they're no longer there. Wow. <laughs> just this one business transaction. We'll take another one later. All right. Well, what do you got for us, Drew? All right. So for my trivia question, it is during the Victorian period, whatever that is. <laughs> it was normal to photograph your pets after they died your family after they died your family naked or your pets naked <laughs> huh like pets naked as in like they shave them or like no just subtract d pets are always naked <laughs> i was gonna say that doesn't make much sense <laughs> all right we eliminated one all right cool cool 33 percent chance of getting it right i feel like it has to be no, why would anyone want a picture of their like dead grandfather naked? <laughs> Just absolutely barren at all. Like I know it was Victorian England, so but they're freaky, man. I'm gonna do pets. Pets naked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> A and D, please. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna be bold and brave and copy Jacob's answer. Ah, <laughs> oh, Well, you guys are wrong. Oh, <laughs> I trusted you. <laughs> I didn't tell you to choose you it. You were the chosen one. During the Victorian period, trivia. it was normal to photograph loved ones after they died. Um, I don't know. They took pictures I'm, and dressed them up after they died. Not I don't know. Naked. Probably put toothpicks under their eyes and one last picture with them. They just taped their eyelids yeah. open. <laughs> you know, well, I guess that makes sense. A little weird. That's the most logical one. Like, wait, they had their eyes open? I, I don't know. Because <laughs> I guess, like, that would make some yeah some sense. it'd be a little weird photographing your family naked that would definitely be the weirdest one. Oh yeah i'm sure if photograph like if peter suckliff just like had a camera on him he probably would have taken some oh, naked yeah. pics there's yeah. so many serial killers that take pictures as trophies and that's how they get caught it's like you guys are so fucking stupid <laughs> i wonder if like today's serial killers do that and just like what if their iCloud just gets hacked? Right. Oh, okay. And it's like, oh, busted. Like when all those celebrity nudes got leaked yeah. <laughs> like 10 years ago or whenever that was. It's just a bunch yep. of like serial killer pictures. That wouldn't be good. Yeah. If I was the hacker, it'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we struck gold. Yeah. <laughs> like, back it up, back it up, back it up. There's like, this is better than nude celebrity <laughs> pictures. Yeah. Neato, gang. All right. Well, are you guys ready to uh, carry on with our good old story about Peter Sutcliffe? Oh, yeah. I am. Finished the documentary and got some uh, other little tidbits to add. It was a good documentary. It was. It It was was. really good. Well, docu-series, I guess. Not Sure. Tomato, tomato. Same thing. Um, But yeah, I believe, well, I mean, I'm sure you'll 
cover this, but we're going to be doing the rest of the murders and then police investigation, then trial yep. today. Yeah, kind exactly. Of little agenda i guess kind of our closing out of the the saga on the yorkshire ripper so yeah i got some i got some new old stuff rectangle to bring head to you. yep old rectangle yeah. head so before we get into where we left off i actually found some new information as well that i it wasn't in every article but it was in a few articles that i found like there's a list i just looked up like peter sutcliffe facts and it was in that list so apparently there is a wax museum like an hour, hour and a half from his house. And he would go visit there like all the time when he was young. And it's called Louis Tussauds Wax Museum. And I had to look up how to pronounce it because that's not how, not how it's spelled at all. But it's known as the worst wax museum in the world. Why is that? <laughs> because all of the wax figurines look so bad. Oh, oh really? Yeah. So if you look it up, like That's on his favorite Google, place. If you look it up on like Google Images, it's uh, Louis Tussaud. So like Louis spelled like Louis, and then Tussaud is T U S S A U D S. What? Yeah, I know it's not spelled like it's pronounced at all. That's why I had to look it up. But they they have like one of Hitler, and his face is like all orange. And the rest of it's just pale. <laughs> it doesn't look like him at all. Uh, there's one of uh, the guy who plays Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, that just doesn't look like him at all. It's They're so bad. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, these, these aren't even close. <laughs> yeah, Drew, go look on Evan's right, computer and look this. at these. Oh, my. The Benito, the Mussolini one <laughs> is just so awesome. Yeah. So if you're at home listening to this and you want to look at these, just look up Louis Tussauds Wax Museum and look at some of these. It's just, they're so bad. It's so funny. <laughs> well, Prince Charles already looks like a ghost in this uh, <laughs> right. in this wax museum, so I kind of got that one right. Right. I, the Hitler one is just so funny to me. I, it's, it's so bad. Why is he so tan? He's I don't German. know. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, he would visit this wax museum all the time, and I believe it was a traveling exhibit, but they had an exhibit on anatomy and it explored venereal disease really in depth so there was wax like figurines of like, genitals. genitals with venereal <laughs> disease like syphilis and stuff like that uh. so he would go to this exhibit all the time and just look at this stuff and that's probably another reason why he thought prostitutes were so filthy and scum of the earth is because he was like addicted to it he yeah liked, he liked looking at it right and, stuff. and they had cutouts of women with like their internal organs showing as like a diagram but obviously he probably used it for other reasons but yeah so apparently that was another thing that he liked to do and i believe now there's actually a serial killer like section at this museum and he has his own statue there and i saw a picture of it and it's probably one of the best looking ones out of the bunch which is pretty sad just the irony i know it's just so weird yeah, we like to play sports when we were little. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like to go look at syphilitic penises. Bobby, like Bobby, that. can we go to the museum? <laughs> That's what mine's gonna look like. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I looked up pictures. Uh, I only found a few pictures of what the actual like anatomy exhibit looked like. But yeah, it was just like glass cases of like from the waist down to like just above the knee, and it's just venereal disease genitals and i was like i don't know if i'd really want to go look at that on a regular basis but yeah. or on a single basis no but 
I mean, I guess if you're an anatomy student, it's like something that you could use as like a visual aid, but... I'm guessing sure. he wasn't an anatomy student. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> he came up just short at uh, at uh, Harvard, or not Harvard. Yeah, I don't What's the famous school in England? I'm stalling. Someone help. <laughs> I don't know. What Throw you... me a lifeline. Come on. That one. England Oxford? University? Oxford. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. We got there. But yeah, I found that, and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, that's just so weird. That's so Peter Sutcliffe of him to do. <laughs> just Petey being Petey. Oh, yeah. But anyways, that that's all that I found that I really wanted to talk about that we've kind of passed over so far. So we're going to pick back up where we left off. So when we last left the Yorkshire Ripper, he had just completed a murder of Vera Millward, in the parking lot of Manchester Royal Infirmary. And so now we're going to get into the rest of his crimes and also into, like Evan said, the, the trial and his time in prison. So, How many crimes we got left? Um, I do not know. I believe there is... Four or five. Yeah, like five more murders, and then he gets caught. So we'll get through all those and then go through everything well, don't else. Don't ruin the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, surprise, surprise, we know who he is. He... <laughs> but I, I did actually see another article, now that I'm thinking about it, on Reddit, that there was a theory that he actually had more murders before the ones that are recorded as being his. But I don't know if it's got much validity, because I didn't really look into it, but there's a bunch of stuff saying that there's like six or seven more that he had prior to his actual recorded string, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they mentioned in the documentary, too, that there were, like, ten-ish that they're very confident that he also did, uh, but he just never admitted to them. Yeah. And they said, like, when they asked him about it, he would kind of smile, but then kind of deny, as if, like, it was his way of faking it to his grave, like, right. his way of, quote-unquote, winning. But I just don't understand why he wouldn't, like, admit to those when, well, we'll see you later, he just was really outspoken about the rest of this stuff so i don't i don't know it's just weird that unless he just didn't want to claim him because that was before he really got into a groove or what but mm -hmm. before... are they are those ones are just ugly <laughs> yeah it's like yeah those are just like ugly murder like shoddy works you threw off my groove oh my god <laughs> okay. all right so picking back up where we left off uh, 11 months after his murder of vera millward he boldly decided to murder 19-year-old Josephine Whitaker in the relatively large and bustling city of Halifax. She was brutally stabbed, and after she was killed, he sexually violated her with a screwdriver, which we talked about last time that he sexually assaulted one of the other women, and this is the second one that he's credited with as a sexual assault. And as I said, this one is, in my opinion, more brutal than just... I just don't understand. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a common theme yeah. that we've been talking about. Like, I'll, we'll never be able to understand the why. But this just shows the rage that he has towards, like, this... Women. Women and this profession. Yeah. 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 Because he's destroying the thing that they use to make the money off of. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what their livelihood is based on at this point, yeah. so... And having, like, no grief. Yeah, it just, about it. just like, no I remorse. I thought about it. Yeah. 
I just feel like he's blacking out and just doing whatever at this point. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, she was she was a middle class girl and well liked, and this was in contrast to his usual victims, which were prostitutes. So this woman just had a normal job. She was just she worked late and was coming home from work, and that's when he attacked her. And being such a, like a relatively large city, this was just the the real turning point in the case where everyone the like public wise was at the point where they were bullying the police almost saying you have to catch this man because he's attacking normal women now it's not just which is kind of sad it's like you probably should have freaked out before that exactly like there's <laughs> been yeah. there's been like what eight people that have died already so but now you're reacting because it's in your your city away from the red light district mm-hmm. and it was uh, a girl that is worth more in your eyes, quote unquote, worth more. Mm-hmm. But basically, oh, sorry, no, go I was ahead. I gonna say, I believe after this murder, they like actually graffitied the police department saying, "Oh yeah," like I believe it read like I don't know if the Ripper name was official yet, but yeah, I think it was. it was. I think it was like Ripper, and then like the kill count, police zero, yeah, or <laughs> police nil, yeah. And so like yeah, they were the public was finally starting to get like interested. Yep. In this, it started not being that, like, fish and chip news. You're right. And this is where the police started putting out bulletins saying women have to stay in or there's a curfew for women, so don't go out late on your own. And if you do go out late, have someone with you, like a male partner with you, to keep you safe so that this don't... Just don't go out on your own, basically. Which sucks. They probably could go out if they just had a weapon or something. Well, and that the... They were, like, traveled in groups, but yeah. I mean, I guess, regardless. But this is where... In the documentary, they show this really well. There's They interview one of the women who says, basically, there's a bunch of feminist movements already going on, and this mm. kind of just empowered them because she said, the men are the ones that are, well, not all men are doing this, but there's one man, and it's it's a male that's doing this, and you're telling us to trust another man to take us home late at night mm-hmm. when we don't know who is doing this, and it's not our fault. It's the men's fault at this point. So why are you putting restrictions on us and letting them do whatever they want when it's their yeah. fault this is happening? It was like they were punishing the women for the action of this, you know, insane man. Exactly. So, and I mean, I understand why they would have that viewpoint because they're just trying to live their lives and mm. do what they want to do. And now they're being told you can't do that because... We don't think it's safe for you, and I can understand both sides, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. just it's that's why this became such a very tense case till the end because of how everything was going on. Tensions kind of escalated even further when police received a letter and a cassette tape from someone claiming to be the Yorkshire Ripper, and this is kind of a huge point in the case because this is how Peter Sutcliffe ends up getting off for the entirety of the rest of his crimes pretty much because he should have been caught at this point. But Mm -hmm. now the police had handwriting as well as an audio sample and a stamp from a place called Sunderland where they believe that they can narrow the search down to as small as a square mile at one point. The the, uh, forensic, I don't know what you want to call him, the guy who listens to the voice and does the analysis on the voice like where the accent's from basically and he says we've narrowed it down to what i could say is as small as a square mile so they basically decided 
he's from this area, if he doesn't have this accent, which was a Geordie accent, if he doesn't have that accent when you interview him, then disregard it because we need to find the guy that has this accent because of this tape that we got. What, sure, you look like you're mad. Dumb. <laughs> yeah. dumb. I'm sure we'll get into it later, but then, like, we'll probably get into, the, like, the police sketch that they made that just had Sutcliffe to a T. It's a dead yeah. ringer yeah. for him. And then in the documentary, and sorry if we're playing again this later, but, like, one of the officers that took, that interviewed the suspect that created that sketch brought it to his superior officer saying, this man is a dead ringer for this actual sketch and his superior officer literally said like a bunch of swear words i believe in the documentary he's like he starts to quote and here's my british accent oh boy he starts effing and jeffing (laughs) (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) and then says like the next person to talk about like sketches is going to be working traffic the rest yeah, of their career. Exactly. Which is just mind-boggling that you just limit your scope so much in this high-profile case. It's just, I don't know, just insane. Yep. So, yeah, they, at this point, they began, the police began just this massive campaign based on this letter and this video or audio recording. And they had giant billboards plastered on the sides of, Tons of buildings. They had an entire, pretty much like an exhibit in the middle of squares of towns, pretty much playing the recording on a loop saying, if you recognize this voice, come report it to us so that we can go interview or follow up on it. Like if you recognize this handwriting, let us know. We basically are just, they're, they're just scrounging for tips and anything they can use at this point. So it's, it's just a whole fiasco. They spent millions of pounds on this. So it it was a very contentious point once this whole tri- the whole case was over and done with mm-hmm. because people pretty much said you didn't need to do any of this. Yeah. But from the police's perspective, this is the biggest lead that they have so far other than the sketch. Well, do- I mean, it does look like a good lead, but it's... Right, exactly. Like, don't drop out your other options. Yeah, that you- that's yeah. the thing. It's like you can follow this. It's just you have so much other stuff too. You have the sketch... You have, mm-hmm. like, physical descriptions from surviving witnesses. Yeah, I'd probably follow that one. Yeah, right? so it's... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not like those should be completely discounted at this point, so... Yeah. It's it's just faults by the police department because they had so much pressure put on them at this point. Mm-hmm. So, there is a reward proposed now prompting thousands of people to call in and report that my husband is the Ripper because I got in an argument with them last <laughs> night, or they're boyfriend who they just fought with is the ripper or their cousin did it because they don't like them so there's just they're just getting thousands of calls and they're having to record all of this by hand on pretty much just little note cards or pieces of paper because they didn't really have a computer system at this point so it got to the point where they had so many filing cabinets and so much paperwork that as like a structural engineer had to come into the building and say you need to reinforce the floor beneath this because you have so much weight above this pretty much open space down here. So they had to actually put in columns below where they were storing all the files because of how many files they actually had. Oh, that would suck. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about how much convenience we have now with you can turn on the computer and like 
command F to find like a keyword or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wouldn't have gotten too far nowadays. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of factors that would have gotten him early on. He no, gotten... the computers. <laughs> <laughs> if they would have had DNA, they would have caught him after this like first murder. So yeah, but. During all of this, Sutcliffe is basically just continuing on because now he knows I didn't send that stuff. The cops are so focused on that. I basically have free reign to do what I want because they're not going to be looking for me anyways. And they've already interviewed me, so it's not like they haven't seen me at all and just don't know that I exist. But I'm still wondering, like, what what does his wife think about all this? Like, she has to, she can't yeah. think he's always out uh, doing his truck driving. I mean, I don't know. I, She just... Comes home sweating. I don't know. Well, I believe she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia yep. later mm-hmm. on in her yep. life. So yep. she's not the most competent mentally, based just mm. solely on that. But, I mean, also, I just think that them being married and, like, they got married being his first relationship. I don't know about her, but... I feel like that was just something that she was just like, I'll look past it and let him do what he wants because I want to make him happy of kind of thing. Did you hear he uh, he used like their uh, dinner knives too? Mm-mm. Yeah, I heard really? that somewhere. And you just bring them back. Really? Oh. I, I don't know. Jeez. I heard it in uh, something else I was listening to. I don't know. He used the hammer and what else did he use? But the screwdriver. Yeah. I heard he used the... Uh, dinner knife too and i was like well, they... just put that right back in the drawer <laughs> yeah. well run it through the water a little bit at least <laughs> but that goes back to him washing his own clothes and stuff he would just clean everything up before she would be have even like a chance to suspect that it was him so i don't know we have tide pods back in there <laughs> <laughs> just throw I'm... in the dishwasher yeah i'm just so curious like they had to, like those two and like just going out with friends. I assume they had some friends and like were met up with family during this like six year, five year span. They had to have talked about this, right? Like people had to have been like to Peter Sutcliffe. So like, huh, what about this Yorkshire Ripper cat? And oh yeah. I just wondered if he was just I like, heard about cracking that. a grin or something like that. No, he I heard uh, in a different thing that he just like completely went stone faced. Like he just he just talked about it like nothing happened. He, yeah, and I'll get to it a little bit later how he reacts when that actually gets brought up to him. There's a story that I found, but it that goes to the the double life thing. It's just these people mm-hmm. can put on such a straight face when they're in a certain situation versus being on their own. It's kind of insane, but it's called acting. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> later nominated for an Oscar. Wow. <laughs> Despite all of the police going crazy. He did end up murdering again, and he murdered Barbara Leach, a 20-year-old student. He killed her in September of 1979, and this murder actually pushed the letter even more because the person on the tape said, if you don't catch me soon, I might kill again. And that's exactly what happened after they got this. And so then they're like, well, he's coming through with the promise that he made on Mm -hmm. this audio tape that he sent to us. So it's... It's pretty insane. And actually, this is his last murder, so there was only a couple that we didn't cover in the first episode. But all of that with the tape and the, the letter was obviously a hoax, and it wasn't even from Sutcliffe at all. So the man on the tape who they had 
be like given the nickname Wearside Jack due to the his what they called a Wearside accent. Was pretty much just someone looking to throw the police off or get attention, whatever. Wasn't he like? I heard he was like fifty or how old was he? Yeah, he was an older guy. It's like you got nothing better to do. Yeah, with exactly. Like, like, I just don't understand on. what would compel someone to like throw this wrench into the middle of this investigation at such a pivotal point. <laughs> <Idiot>. Yeah. <laughs> so this wearside letter was becoming such a thing. It it was just so much pandemonium on the police's end that he was. Sutcliffe was basically able to just walk around leisurely and do what he wanted. And it's not to say that he was just avoiding police altogether, because even during all this chaos, or and perhaps because of this chaos, he managed to evade them after being interviewed almost a dozen times. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. It was, I, I think the total times that he was interviewed by police about this was nine times. And every single time, Sonya would back up his alibis, and that's the only thing that they really he really needed. And that's he didn't have the accent. Did did she know about this? It's like no, what? It's it's insane. It yeah yeah. And the the entire case pretty much pivoted once that audio tape came in because, like Evan said, the one guy he interviewed him and said he's a dead ringer, mm-hmm. and then his superior pretty much yelled him out of the office and said you're going to be on traffic duty if you bring this up to me again. And his shoe size was pretty close. The tire tracks that they found, they matched his car, but they couldn't do anything about it because the people that were heading the police department at this point just said, if it's not a Geordie accent, then we're not going to do anything about it, which is just such a narrow like state of mind to be in. <clears throat> but I guess, I don't know. I, I've never been in that much pressure as someone trying to catch a serial killer so yeah Yeah, that is fair like this is all just us looking in hindsight at it but i believe i also saw and who knows if this is true but um american fbi agents were actually contacted by some of the families and for some reason the freedom of information act like came into play i don't know i glanced at like something in an article but they released a essentially a profile for the ripper and it had Sutcliffe down essentially to a T. It was dead on. Yeah. <laughs> like literally they just need to put his name. And yeah. It would have been just perfect. But yep. the police force just again, they were very focused. Um almost had that like hallway mindset. Yeah, they really railroaded this investigation yes. at that yeah. point because they they as and when I say they I mean the superiors knew what they were looking for and didn't want to hear anything about anything else. So it's just sad that he got away with this for so much longer than he should have just because someone decided to throw this <clears throat> this curveball at the police. And that man, being named John Humble, was arrested in 2005 after being discovered as the guy who sent the tape and the letter. They did find him. Yeah, they did. Yeah, he, was, oh, okay. he, was, he was eight years in jail, right? Yep, he was yeah. sentenced to eight years in prison. Yeah. So, I don't know. I didn't really look into like any motivation behind why he would do that, but just a laugh, I guess. Like just seeing that you're having such an impact on something that's nationwide news. I guess I don't really know, but it just it blows my mind. But this is also like the uh, the zodiac when the zodiac was huge. There was all these letters that were getting sent to the police, and they don't know whether there's pretty much just the three ciphers that he sent that they think are from the Zodiac himself, but there's all these other copycat letters that they're getting. 
It's just like, I don't understand what compels people to have the mindset that they want to do something like that. No. But I guess I'm also not a psychopath. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I just did a quick Google search and it says John Humble's sole motivation appears to have just been boredom. <laughs> He said it was Get a stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> he said it was a stupid thing to do, and I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, that was kind of dumb of me. Well, like, yeah, kind of dumb. Think? You, you cost a woman her life, basically. Mm. It's that there's blood on her hands as well. So, I, I mean, that's not saying that they would have caught Peter if he hadn't sent this letter in the audio tape, but yeah. definitely didn't help. So, um. Are we done? Ta- are we done talking about? Him? Are we gonna get to the V-neck part? <laughs> we'll be getting there soon. Don't worry. You've just that been so you've funny. just been itching. Like <laughs> yeah, we were texting earlier in a group chat, and Drew's like, because oh, I, I said that I had some new information that I found, and I was talking about the wax museum, and Drew's like, oh yeah, I found some information about the V-neck. <laughs> so now I'm so excited about it. I didn't it. even know they had V-necks back. Oh then. yeah. So we're, we'll get to that. He was a trendsetter. But this is, as I said, the end of Peter's killing spree. So in April of 1980, Peter had actually been seeing a different woman that cheating on his wife with a woman named Teresa Douglas. And they were having an affair for about a year. And he made such a good impression on her and her family that apparently when her brother asked him, oh, well, you kind of seem like you might be the Yorkshire Ripper because apparently he, her brother said that when... He looked at Peter. He just saw evil in his eyes. Hmm. And Peter jokingly just said, oh, yeah, I am the Ripper. Wouldn't that be crazy? I'm the Ripper, huh? <laughs> and they all just laughed it off because he made such a, like, a good impression that he was just this normal guy. Yeah. And they just laughed it off and let it go. So, <laughs> Well, even at his job, they called him the Ripper. Yeah. So, just uh, So for a little background, yeah. He was called in. So they traced the five-pound note that they found to his employer then they interviewed everyone then they actually took peter in for more questioning to the police station i believe and correct me if i'm wrong this is just why i saw the documentary but then ever since that happened they called him the ripper just as a joke which uh oof yeah (laughs) (laughs) ha ha (laughs) i also lied there's two more victims that are coming up so i just didn't have my next page of notes open yet so he actually, when he was seeing Teresa Douglas, he actually did almost get caught in this time because he was out. He was out drinking and he thought it was a good idea to take a detour on his way home when he was driving. And he got caught and booked for drunk driving and he got released without a cross examination for whatever reason, just probably because they already had on file that he had been interviewed a few times and let go. So they were like, well, what, what's the point in interviewing him again? He's hammered. And so he was just basically put on probation until his court date. And so his court date was, I believe, like eight months out from when he got caught. So he had some free time before he was actually supposed to go to court and he was still living at home. But during this time, he would uh, attack four women and kill two of them. Oof. So the first attack was Marguerite Walls. And she was a 47-year-old civil servant uh, at the Department of Education and Science. She was working late, clearing her desk before she was about to go on vacation and was walking home late. And Peter had been waiting for her in an alley. And once she walked by, 
he hit her in the head with a hammer, and when she didn't fall and instead began screaming, he hit her again, but ended up having to strangle her to get her to shut up. And so this was one of the, the murders where he didn't actually do his typical hammer stab because she didn't fall down right away, so he had to resort to something else to get her to be quiet. So after she was dead, he dragged her by her hair into a property garden and smashed her multiple more times with his hammer and then covered the body with leaves in the garden. And she was originally actually not believed to be a victim of Peter Sutcliffe because of the fact that she was strangled and not stabbed or bludgeoned. And and he never, uh, did he cover them all up? Why did he cover this one up? Probably. I thought he liked him to be sitting out. He usually did, but like the one that we talked about in the first episode, he covered her with a couch. So oh. I mean, it's it's not like he isn't doing it, but mm-hmm. it's just that sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. I guess I don't know. I guess it depends on the situation that he's in and how angry sure. he is, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, so the next two attacks were thankfully not fatal. Uh, I'm gonna maybe pronounce this name wrong. Upadya Bandara was visiting Leeds. She was originally from Singapore, and she was visiting Leeds for a World Health Organization scholarship that she was visiting for. And she was attacked on her way home from a friend's house, and Peter hit her in the head and knocked her unconscious, but a neighbor heard the noise, and Sutcliffe had to flee. And he was actually not suspected for this, despite her telling the police his description matching the sketches that they already had. But the police just didn't believe her. I don't know if that's because she's a foreign or if... I don't know. But Who knows? After Bondura came Teresa Sykes, a 16-year-old, which... That's odd. Once again, keeping it to those really young ages again for whatever reason. Yep. She was a 16-year-old living with her boyfriend and three-month-old son. She was attacked on her way home from the pub, pretty much like right in front of her apartment after seeing her father, the owner of the pub, and Sutcliffe followed her home and hit her three times in the head. One of the blows was so severe that it went through her skull, and her boyfriend pretty much was watching this from a window, and when he noticed that this was going on in basically their front yard, he came and rushed Peter, and then he had to flee. But her father, Teresa Sykes' father, basically said she was never the same after this, and I can not imagine any way that she would be. Oh, yeah. Because you literally have a hammer smashed through your skull. There's going to be some neurological damage, and especially PTSD. But the thing that's mind-blowing, like, these murders and attacks, they all happen, like, essentially in the open in front of an apartment building, in front of someone's front yard. Yeah. I mean, grand, they're is of course like happens in alleyways and off streets, but some of these happened in the middle of the street. Yeah. That just shows that he's got so much confidence now yeah, because he's, he's yeah. comfortable. Yeah. He's got, he's been interviewed by the police nine times already. gotten away with it this whole time. All mm-hmm. he has to do is tell his wife to say, Hey, I was here and then he's good to go. And it's, yeah, it's insane that he got away for this long, but, no way. <laughs> Come on. Sorry. I didn't do it. I can't read half my notes. Sorry. You oh, actually man. can't. It's bare just, yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to get on the papers underneath there. Too. 
All right, Jacob dumped a Vizzy on there. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. We're back. <laughs> we had a, we had an interruption, but we're back. Uh, all right. So where were we? Okay, last attack. Last attack was uh, on twenty-year-old student Jacqueline Hill. She was on her way home from her seminar for her goal of becoming a member of the probation service which is ironic because Peter Sutcliffe was on probation when he attacked her. So (laughs) good old irony. Peter followed her from the bus stop and waited until she was in a dimly lit part of the road and struck her on the head. And then he continued by dragging her body into a car park where the trees and bushes obscured him from view and then stabbed her body repeatedly, targeting the eye in one specific instance. So I believe... The story behind this is that he was basically sitting at a chicken place, watching, like just eating there. Chick fil A. No. Yes. <laughs> no, it was a Sunday. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> and uh, he basically was watching through the window and saw her get off the bus and just decided in that instance that he was going to follow her and attack her. So, did he just have a hammer and screwdriver yeah, he, on him at all times? He kept a hammer and knife in his car, basically. Wow. So, he had some Wrangler jeans. Yeah, just... <laughs> he had a bunch of cargo pockets. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So this, and I'm sure about it this time, was the final attack and final death of his 13 murder spree. That is confirmed murder spree, maybe more, depending on what sources you want to believe on whether he attacked people earlier or not. But at this point, the police chief told the investigators that they should not rule out a suspect just because he didn't have that Geordie accent anymore, which was a huge step into not overlooking Peter Sutcliffe again. Because as you remember, that was basically the one reason why he had been let go this whole time. Mm-hmm. So Peter decided to take a trip into he had to take a trip into Sheffield for work, and that was kind of an area that he hadn't been to before. And so he decided that when he was there, he liked it so much that he was going to go back while he was off work to see if he could find more women to kind of add to his body count. I think he got fired from his job. Yeah. Or did that happen later? He got fired later. Or no, he almost got fired because of that drunk driving. Okay. But he, he kept his job and was working throughout. And then once he got caught, he obviously didn't have his job anymore. But... Uh, it's funny because when he delivered to Sheffield on this occasion, one of the depot managers actually remembered him because he said that he had to, Peter had to wait so long because it was so backed up. And he said, yeah, he was just kind of a a normal, nice guy. And I, I kind of like enjoyed his company because he was just like kind of a, a personable dude. So it just shows like how well he can put up a front for people that he wants to just appear like a normal guy to. So he found he he did return to Sheffield uh, about two weeks later, and he was cruising the streets at night, and he found two girls, uh, Olivia Reavers, age 24, and Denise Hall, age 19. They were two friends who were out on the streets trying to make money to support themselves, and he attempted to pick up Denise, the 19-year-old, first. But she actually denied him because she had a bad. She said she had a bad feeling once he approached her. Her spidey senses were tingling. Exactly. His hammer was hanging out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> he approached her. Not and that waved, hammer. He waved the hammer out the oh, window, okay. and he was like, 
waved the hammer out the window. He's like, hey, <laughs> you want to come over here? <laughs> he forgot instead of like flashing money, he just flashed a, <laughs> he flashed a knife. A freaking a hammer. hammer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, sorry. Didn't help that he approached her and said, hey, you want to have a night with the Yorkshire Ripper? <laughs> yeah. And then shot finger guns. <laughs> okay. That's how they knew it wasn't him because, like, oh, wait, he doesn't—he doesn't use guns. He's way too personable to be the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. All the charisma on this, this man. This guy is awesome, and then he pulls the shades down. No. <laughs> so he came back about an hour later, and he approached Olivia, the twenty-four-year-old, and she agreed to get in the car with him. So it is said that they attempted to have sex, but he couldn't get aroused. So they ended up pretty much just talking for about an hour. <laughs> Which is like, all right, I guess if you hey, want $5 is $5. He's <laughs> yeah. going to get that hour. Like, she's like, I'm making money. So if I don't have to do anything, then I guess this is fine. Oh. So they were just talking in the car. Wah, wah. And <laughs> two officers pulled up on them. And they, because they pretty much knew that this was an area well known for prostitution. So they just approached the car and they recognized Olivia from previous encounters. And told her to get in the police car. And then they were talking to Peter afterwards and just kind of in, giving him like normal questioning. And during this, he asked like, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. Can I go over there and just hide in the alleyway, take a piss quick and then come back? Which I guess they're just fine with people publicly urinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. insane. Like that honestly blows my mind. Yeah. Especially during this time. Like yeah. he's a man with a most likely like. You can assume a prostitute yeah. during the Yorkshire Ripper time. Like, right. How are you just letting him out of eyesight? Exactly. So while he decided to go ask them, they said yes. And he used this opportunity to take his hammer and knife and go stash them away in that alleyway so that they wouldn't find it in the car if they went and investigated the car. So they did some stuff. They researched his plates while he was gone and found out that the plates that he was using didn't match the car he was driving. And they just cuffed him there and then and took him into custody to be interviewed because suspicious guy driving a car with plates that don't match with a prostitute fits the criteria for what they're looking for for the Yorkshire Ripper basically no Jordy accent let him go <laughs> yeah. yeah right his wife comes out of the alleyway oh he was over here with me actually <laughs> <laughs> so at this point they transferred him to the West Yorkshire police where he was interviewed upon suspicion of being the Yorkshire Ripper since he was with the prostitute under suspicious circumstances. And at the same time, one of the officers that had arrested him went back to the scene and he searched around that area and found the hammer and knife. And so basically at this point they were like, this guy is the guy we're looking for. So once they came back and he told the commanding officer and they told Peter he just basically broke and started to confess. So he told them in detail about every one of his crimes, basically. And they had been interviewing. This wasn't like a short time period. They had been interviewing him for like hours on end, like almost multiple days. What's uh, funny is uh, all the guys investigating this, they weren't the ones that caught him. It was just some two, it, yeah, two it was, random cops that it was yep. dumb luck. Just yeah, it was dumb luck. It literally so wasn't. Funny. It wasn't good policing. It was just dumb luck. Yep. Yeah, in the documentary, they actually have footage of the inter- like an interview with the two cops and the the one looks like the crimson chin. Yes, that thing just. <laughs> if I was wearing 3D glasses, I would have gotten bonked in the head. 
his face is like the longest face I've ever seen yes. in my life. But anyway, like they the interview asked, like, was this done due to good police work? <laughs> yeah. He was like, he just goes, well, I was just good coppering there. Yeah. <laughs> I actually it's have like, that yes. in my notes that I was going to bring that up because it's just so stupid. Like, okay, good coppering. Like, come it's on. Good, good coppering. It's, it's we were like, going to no. give you a raise until that one. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason you got, you got him is because you went happened to go back to where your jurisdiction is and found the knife and hammer. Yeah. So... So yeah, police stripped him and found that he was wearing a V-neck sweater underneath his pants. This is my favorite part. <laughs> this is what Drew's been waiting for. So this dude, instead of wearing his uh, Grundies, he <laughs> he uh, he puts a V-neck sweater upside down so his uh, privates are dangling through the V-neck, pads the kneecaps so he can get down on his knees. And uh, that's what he would uh, use to jerk off after yep. uh, after he killed the victims. Was like, oh my god! Yep, really? Yeah, yeah. Quick, knee pads and everything. Quick access. A V-neck sweater. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe they gave him a little something beforehand too. I don't know, but I don't. That's that's <laughs> okay, funny. Okay, can you imagine being a prostitute though? And he pulls down his pants. He's just got a V-neck sweater open. It's and just like, just, what the fuck? You just see some. You just see some wool. Like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? What are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> you, you just see the tag dangling past the ball. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Oh, is that cool? Uh, yeah, he's still got the sale tag on it. And yeah. Stuff. Man, buy one get one. Sick. Uh, so yeah, basically they found out like this is what he wore to have quick access when he was like over the bodies that he would murder and. He would basically just pull down his pants quick and jerk off or whatever he needed to do and then get out of there. Did he J.O. at every single... I think everyone. Most or maybe of, a lot of Most them. of them, yeah. I mean, if he had time Freak. to. Uh, yeah. But it's crazy because he couldn't get aroused for the normal prostitutes, but then he would be able to get it done once he actually had them killed. So. Well, he knows the secret touch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, That's what the God. bad touch by the Bloodhound Gang's all about. You know that song? I do not. No, oh, me neither. It's so good. Come again? Oh, get it? I can't believe you guys have never heard that song. It's so good. We'll have to listen to it when we're done recording. Sounds good. That can be our outro. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I told these guys that we have to figure out like an outro theme or something that we can say every episode because then we don't have to stammer our way through the end. Yeah, we never know how to end this <laughs> dang thing. Uh, but anyways, so he, he basically told them everything. He told them about the murders, and he asked that he would be the one that told Sonia because she had no idea that any of this was going on. So he wanted to be personally accountable to tell her. And so the current police chief, as well as the former police chief, posed for photos once they had confirmed that the case was closed and that they had caught the Yorkshire Ripper. And this is where they interview those two officers, saying it was just good cop work and stuff. But it's... Coppering. It's, I, I it, just envision these guys like the two cops from Superbad. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. <laughs> There's popping off shots in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, it looks like we came across the Yorkshire Ripper. <laughs> They're with McLovin. It was McLovin the entire time. Want to go stop at the pub? <laughs> what a good movie. Holy cow. 
basically these cops are saying, yeah, we did such a good job and we're taking all the glory for putting this guy away. But as we said earlier, it's basically just a stroke of luck that caught Peter Sutcliffe. So, Mm -hmm. but luckily for them, once they did catch him, (laughs) they, they got him to confess. Like he just broke and, and told them everything. So, well, once they find the hammer, he's basically, but I mean, he had, he had already been, uh, he'd been, given a fine earlier for having the weapons on him and just oh, really yeah because mm-hmm. he was he was like lying in wait basically and they caught him and said like equipped for thievery or something like that and so if he wouldn't have said anything he might have been able to get away with it again depending on whether they would have pushed him as far as they did but i don't know that equipped for thievery it's just kind of total sidetrack kind of an odd yeah right like crime or fine like what? Uh, yeah. You were equipped Yeah, like, what if it was a construction guy like, and he sorry, just got pulled a... over with, like, his toolbox and I'm right. like, I don't know. Like, a... Sorry, I have a couple bobby pins on me. I don't... Here's a $50 fine. That's just good copper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Crimson Chin. So, regardless, they caught him. And this is when the trial had com- started to commence. And the trial, much like... Everything before this was just absolute chaos. There was people outside of the courthouse when they had originally planned on his court hearing, and they had to postpone it, actually, because of how many people were outside protesting and just the madness because they didn't want to have to try and work their way through and protect him and try and make sure that everything went according to procedure. So they postponed it. And then once he actually got led in and out of the courthouse, this was the first time that the public had a chance to see who this guy actually was. And they interview a few people, and they basically say it it was insane to see him, this small, normal guy who we thought was this huge boogeyman walking in and out just so like casually. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> What? I mean, honestly, almost exactly. Yeah, that's it's exactly like normal it. Guy. You're not so scary. It's just, it's just a dude. And yeah, I'm sure, like especially in England, they all had that Jack the Ripper, this maniacal, evil aura. Maybe even like crooked face, huge, like teeth, kind of like yeah. character in their mm, mind. Exactly. And then out walks just the ugliest fucking dude. <laughs> dude. It's this this dude with the literal rectangle for a head. Oh. And he was un- like, they covered him with a blanket and everything. I too, actually but... heard that they needed to use an extra large blanket to cover his huge head. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, that's not true. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they also need to extend like, you're doing, the courtroom. You're doing what I do to you, to Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Did anyone get any clean punches on him on the way in? No, so he was handcuffed to like a plainclothes officer and was surrounded by like dozen like a dozen cops. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, in the documentary it was like very interesting to see. Like two thousand people were essentially all in one street just mm-hmm. trying to just catch a glimpse of this guy. It was like the Bucks parade. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he had to be like yeah. a, he had to be let in and out of the courthouse to make sure that no one attacked him. But yeah, I mean they have interviews in the docu docu series with his neighbors and stuff, and they basically just said like he was a quiet, nice guy. He was kind of reserved, but we had no issues with him. 
And they just said, like, he went about his business. He didn't really get in our way. We didn't get in his way. It's just a normal neighbor. Mm-hmm. And they interview his father, too. And they ask him, like, oh, would you ever suspect your, your, your son of being the Yorkshire Ripper? And he's just like, oh, no, not my son. He was, he was such a kind child. He's such a nice boy. It's just like. His dad's just hammered. <laughs> his dad is just like. It, it's kind of infuriating to watch him because yeah. he's kind of the reason why oh, yeah. Peter Sutcliffe turned into the monster that he was. Yeah, now that we know what we know about like his actual upbringing. Yeah. It's like, and then seeing that interview. Well, like, come on, guy. Yeah. Like, I don't think he led him to the genital uh, wax station. But, I mean... <laughs> this is fair. This is fair. But, I mean, when you see your father beating your mother regularly, yeah. like, even when she's pregnant, and then, like, accusing her of being just this cheating whore in front of the entire family, it's, it's not going to influence you in any way that's probably good. So... Mm-hmm. But it was at this point that the trial started to commence and at the trial there was four psychologists that claimed that Peter Sutcliffe had uh, paranoid schizophrenia which is what his wife was diagnosed with and he was claiming that there was a voice in his head who was claiming to be God telling him that he needed to go on this mission to clean the streets basically of, of these prostitutes and one thing that we I didn't mention was, so for serial killers, there's like categories of which ones are which. So there's like, there's product and process killers, which product killers, basically they kill to get the bodies, which would be like a Ted Bundy who would use the bodies after he had killed them for necrophilia and stuff like that. Dahmer. Yeah, it, exactly. They, they wanted, they wanted the body for what they wanted to use it for. But then there's process killers, which basically they just, they kill with nothing attached to it afterwards. Basically they just do it for the thrill of the kill. And then they don't take any souvenirs or take the body for itself. And that's more so what Peter Sutcliffe was because he didn't really take the bodies or use them after he had killed them. He just left them where he was. And then there's, which is sorry to interrupt, which is, Kind of ironic, considering when he was a grave digger, he took trophies off those bodies. Oh yeah, you remember that? But yeah. like, wouldn't he never did that with these bodies? Right. right? Like, there was not even like a tooth, like Ooh. really. Well, I'm sure there was tooth missing, just like around the area. But like, they never found any trophies. Yeah, from the murders that he did. But well, which, I guess, on his part, was a smart move because then he wouldn't have anything incriminating. At the house or anything like Be that. Be very so. hard to hide a toe. Right, just. exactly. <laughs> just a face. But then there's yeah. <laughs> but then there's also other stuff where there's categories like missionary killer, which is saying like I had a, a mission from some sort of deity that told me I needed to kill for this reason or that reason. And that's basically what he was trying to do here is saying I had a voice from God telling me that I needed to kill prostitutes. Do we believe that though? N- not no. for a single I, second. Even... I think he saw Sonia's uh, schizophrenia and just kind of uh, copycatted he, it. Yeah, he knew exactly what it was. And even his own brother said, I don't believe it was at the trial, it was years after that, like when Sutcliffe eventually got moved to that mental hospital, 
Sokov's brother even said that, like, yeah, he's faking it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he was trying to do, like, initially, because he wanted to avoid going to prison at all. And luckily, the uh, trial judge, he, he denied it, his plea for insanity, because he said that he knew what he was doing. And he obviously did know what he was doing because he was more or less calculated in how he was doing things. I mean, he was very nonchalant about it, but he... He knew what he was doing. He was conscious for everything. He, it was a conscious decision to do what he did. It wasn't like he had no say in the matter. You know what I mean? Well, and the fact that there was just semen everywhere. Right. Yeah. So it's not like... It's just everywhere. It's just, oh my God. I think they actually had to reinforce the floor because there was just gallons <laughs> so and gallons everywhere. of semen. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that might that might be the hardest I've ever laughed on this podcast. <laughs> That's so gross. But like you can't see that evidence and be like, yeah, he's on a mission from God. Because it's not like God would be like also do that. Right, after. exactly. So I mean that's just it it's just an I think it's just an obvious and you see this, there's a there's a big video on YouTube that was popular. It, it came out like a couple months ago. And it was showing People that were in interrogation rooms being recorded, and they didn't know they were being recorded, but they're normal before the investigators would come in, and then they would pretty much start like having nervous tics or like shaking and then like acting like they were insane, basically. And that's kind of what Peter's doing here is just he's trying to put on a front so that he can get a more cushy sentence going to the insane asylum versus or the the uh, psychiatric hospital versus going to prison. Yep. Like I said, the trial judge denied him. He didn't accept his request for diminishing the dish. He didn't accept his request for diminishing the charges to manslaughter, and he was convicted on all murder counts, all thirteen, and sentenced to I believe it was twenty life sentences, and had a parole possibility at a minimum of thirty years down the road. So he wasn't going to be able to request any sort of release early like probationary release for up to 30 years. I can't, did he actually request probation by chance? Cause I can't imagine like <laughs> yeah. a probation officer seeing that like, come on guy. Yeah. He did appeal for, to the red light. He, <laughs> he, he did appeal in 2010 for what? like, uh, his, his possibility of parole, but mm. he obviously didn't get it, but that'd be the fastest. Nah, yeah, right. Of all time. So he started his term in prison uh, shortly after and was shortly after his incarceration assaulted multiple times by inmates. So the, fir- the first no was... No complaints over here. Yeah. No complaints. That, that's one solace that I guess that people can take in this is that once he did get to prison, it's, he did not have an easy time. Like he had a terrible time in prison. And even though he does eventually get transferred to Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital... He didn't have a good time there either. So no. <laughs> that'd be freaky. So the first the first assault, he got assaulted by a fellow inmate who had broken a glass coffee jar and stabbed him twice in the side of his face. And he actually required thirty stitches. And there's pictures that I saw of this, and basically the entire left side of his face is just slashed and then stitched up. So I don't know how this guy <laughs> is that resilient that he just kept going. But, I mean, 
this probably could have easily killed him if mm-hmm. this guy had gone farther with it. After that, uh, I believe it was three years that he spent in the uh, prison. He was transferred to Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital and assaulted violently multiple more times. <laughs> so one inmate tried to strangle him with headphone cables behind a bookshelf and was actually stopped because other inmates heard Peter Sutcliffe like screaming, basically, mm-hmm. and they stopped the other guy. Uh, another guy stabbed him in the eye with a pen, leaving him partially blind. Oh, oh ow. And another also... tried to stab him with a knife, which almost got his other eye, but Peter pulled back and it only caught his cheek. And he survived all of these attacks somehow. That would have so, been funny, both eyes. I would not have shed a tear. No, me neither. No complaints on this end of the table. Man. Uh, but the pen to the eye reminds me of one of the uh, the oh. Bourne movies. The, yes. There, where yeah. he takes a pen and like shoves it up the guy's like wrist. Oh, oh it's it's literally the most like unsettling thing I've ever like. I hate stuff like that where it just slides under the skin. Uh, Ev, I so I went to uh, grade school with Evan, whatever, Mrs. Zaporsky. Yeah, and she was telling us a story, and she said when she was uh. I don't know. She told us some story. She was like uh, getting babysat or something, or she was babysitting a kid, mm-hmm. and a kid went to go up and grab a dart, and it fell, hit him, stuck straight in their eye, and uh, oh, I don't know if it was a little girl, a little boy. I can't remember. It was like seventh grade, but um, they somehow it hit the right area. They could still see. That's that's insane. nuts. That's so nuts. <laughs> no, that's insane. Yeah, that honestly was, freaks yeah. me out. Like. I'm emitting a great fear on the podcast. I hate anything near my eyes, like any eye thing. So that just literally just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh. See, when when I was growing up, when I was younger, think I have 2020. Fuck contact. <laughs> Holy cow! But I, yeah, that I, might reduce you a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, my sister was trying to convince my parents to let her get contacts, and like one of her big arguments is like, "Look, I can touch my eye." And, I was, and, like, at the time, I was like, what does that have to do with anything? That's dumb. But, like, now that I wear contacts, I'm like, yeah, that actually makes sense. Like, that's a huge deal that you can be able to, like, keep your eye open with your finger right there. But uh, uh. it's like so it's so second nature to me now that I don't even, like, think about it. But, yeah, there's that Jason Bourne scene. And, like, there's one other movie called, I think it's Crimson Peak, where some guy takes half a scissor and stabs someone right in the cheekbone. And, like, those two scenes are, like, embedded in my head as, like, the most disturbing and unsettled. Like, they gave me the heebie-jeebies when I was watching it. Those and anything under your fingernails? See, that I don't get that disturbed from that. That's oh. Like, I get just, like... Yeah, not so much. Anything where it's, like, just a, an easy, like, slide underneath your skin. Jeez. It's, just, like, so disgusting to me. That's, yeah. like, the worst. Anyways. <laughs> I was about to say, what were we even talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's like up getting he got the beans a, in prison. Yes, getting his comeuppance. So he spent. <laughs> no, okay, never mind. That would be way too. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Keep, no, 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 no. <laughs> say you probably can't. legit. You might need to. You might need to cut this. <clears throat> well, I mean, hey, you probably got he. He probably got come up in a couple times. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was totally worth making you say. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Anyways, he spent <laughs> he spent a good all twenty five years at Broadmoor, and then he was declared fit to leave. <laughs> all right, Whew. which twenty five years being able to spend twenty five years at a psychiatric hospital when you're pretty much faking a mental illness is kind of insane, and there's a lot of public outrage about him being even transferred in the first place. Because people knew that if he goes from a public prison to this psychiatric hospital, he's going to get more visitation rights. He's going to get a more cushy room. And he's just basically going to have an overall like better li- like standard of living. So Oh, definitely. It's essentially going from a high-security prison to honestly the equivalent of just kind of living in an apartment. Or like a dorm like, room, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. he'd get like, time outside. He would get the... Go to a library, like interact with people, and I believe he also got like permission to leave in the early two thousands when what? one of it, it was either his father or his mother died. Mother, and mm-hmm. yeah, so he was able to go to uh, the site where they scattered her ashes. Obviously, he's probably supervised the entire time, but it it just shows that he had so many more privileges going to Broadmoor versus being at the uh, state hospital or the state prison. Or the country prison, or whatever county prison. I just uh, looked back to confirm um, it was his father. That's what I thought. Oh. So, it and I can understand why the public would be mad because this man did such heinous acts for years, and then there's like, yeah, you can go live in this nice little dorm room with a TV, a nice cushy bed, a desk. You can read. You can go to the library. Probably played Halo 2. <laughs> okay. Oh. I probably shouldn't do that. I'm tone deaf. All right. <laughs> so, like I said, he did try to appeal in 2010, but it was declared at that point that he would never be allowed to leave prison, which good. is a good move. Yeah. Peter Sutcliffe died at age 74. This in is funny. November of 2020 of the coronavirus. Woo! <laughs> so at least we can thank You're it. Out of here. We can thank it for one thing. You're out of here. <laughs> so that that is the end of Peter Sutcliffe's life. Uh, but in one of the sources that I had, it actually said that there was another British serial killer, which I didn't really dive into at all, named Stephen Griffiths. And he basically claimed that Peter Sutcliffe was his idol or his inspiration. Oh, gosh. And he studied him. So even after he was caught, he still had a lasting impact on the lives of other people because he Mm -hmm. inspired other people to do stuff similar to what he did. So none of it was good. No. (laughs) But like, like we said, after... Like the trial and everything when he was in prison, there was a ton of backlash towards the Yorkshire cops because of how they handled the case. People saying that they could have done a much better job, and one of the uh, the one of the women who was attacked, and I don't I'm not remembering which one it is off the top of my head. The blonde one. But 
No, it, she's interviewed in the last episode of the docu-series. Oh, yeah. And she basically talks about how the cops told her, yeah, he can he confessed to the attack on you oh, when yeah. you were when you were 14. It was the 14-year-old. I just don't have my notes open to the the name. But uh she she they basically told her like, "Yeah, he confessed." She didn't get commentary. Tracy Brown. Tracy Brown. And she she said like, "Well, is he going to get convicted of that assault too?" And the cops told her, "Well, no, it would be pointless. He's already convicted on the 13 murders." So we're not going to have it. There's like no reason to do it. And she said, well, I, I didn't get any justice then. Yeah. He wasn't convicted for what he did to me. He was convicted for the other ones. But personally, I don't have any closure because now there's nothing to say that what he did to me was actually convicted or punished for. Yeah. And she even said like the cops that she told, like they said like, oh, sort of like kind of having a laugh right now. Like, are you essentially translating like, are you like serious right now? like yeah that happened to her yeah so there's just a lot of things that the cops obviously misstepped on and the mo- most of it relied around that video or the audio and uh, letter that they got but i mean i can understand both sides because obviously this guy should not have been let go as long as he did but there's also just so much pressure on the side of the police yeah, there. It's just desperation. It, it's, I don't know. It's just hard to imagine being under that circumstance. Yeah, and you got video. I mean, audio evidence and stuff like that. I mean, easy to get led down the wrong track, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that's another parallel too to the Jack the Ripper is because like the police at that time, the the Scotland Yard got so many letters from different people claiming to be Jack the Ripper, and a lot of people think that over half of them are probably fake, and there's probably only, like, a couple that were actually sent by Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. I hear people like this in all the crime, whatever, episodes I'll listen to, and there's always people faking it. I'm like, what? Who does that? I'll never understand what would possess someone to be like, you know what I'm going to do with my day? Just write in a fake letter claiming to be a serial killer and throw off everything. It just makes no sense. Yeah, I'd, I'll never understand it, but, I mean, I don't think any of us ever will because we're not that kind of person, so. Right. But. <laughs> or are we? <laughs> Find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the end of the Yorkshire Ripper, one of the UK's most infamous serial killers, based, uh, based his name off of the UK's most infamous serial killer, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So. What are your guys' final thoughts on him? Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Kind of said about myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of what we've been talking about a lot. Last two episodes, just the psychology behind it. We'll never understand, you know, what that thought process is, like what motivates someone to do that. And just not having any sort of grief, remorse. anything like that it's just mind-blowing stuff that happens in your childhood beforehand can lead to this stuff it's like i don't know yeah it's it's honestly kind of i i just it's so fascinating i understand why there's a 
billion documentaries, docu-series, podcasts all yeah. around serial killers, murders, all that stuff. Just because it's like, as humans, we have that unwritten code of don't murder. But the fascinating thing is, like, serial killers will just stop at a red light. Yeah. But, like, they'll just, after they stop at said red light, go and kill another member of their species. So it's just, like, so and weird we're the to o- me. Humans are the only species that kills other members of its own species. Yes. Yeah. So. We're, like, really? essentially just sport. Yeah. First, like. That's gotta be false. There's there's other there's other species that'll do it, but it's just like a power thing, like yeah. to show that they're the leader. Yeah. But for, in our case, we're the only ones that kill our own kind, basically for no reason. Yeah. So, yeah, and we we talked about this before we when we were kind of deciding on doing this topic, and basically just talked about why people are so fascinated by this and why mm-hmm. we wanted to cover something like this. And it's basically just because downloads, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at, I, I said it. It comes down to just human nature, I think, because everyone has like those dark parts of their mind where like they'll sink into it every once in a while and just yeah. have that dark thought that just goes, "Hey, wouldn't this be weird?" Yeah. And we can't really do anything about it because obviously we're normal people and we know that there's boundaries and there's right and wrong. But the people like Peter Sutcliffe just have something that puts a wall in front of that part of their mind and just says, this is okay to do. And I think that's why true crime has been such a fascination for so many years because it's just so interesting to try and figure out what makes people like this tick and mm-hmm. what makes them do the things that they do i mean it's crazy it's truly fascinating very sad i like listening to it but yeah i mean i think it's important to talk about too because yeah. i mean mm-hmm. it's it's a big mental health thing too and i mean we just had simone biles in the olympics talk about why she couldn't perform because mm-hmm. her headspace was wrong and for her being in the wrong headspace if she makes one misstep could end up with her seriously making a, yeah having a serious injury or even like falling and breaking her neck or something like that so like that's it's it made a big push towards recognizing that mental health is a huge issue that needs to be addressed and i think that's prevalent here it's just, if you have thoughts like this if you have moments in your life where you have some sort of thing that's pushing in the back of your mind consistently and saying like you should do something like this or you should do this crime. It's just like you should be able to comfortably go and talk to someone and say, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what's going on with me. I need help before I do something that I'm going to regret. Yeah. And that's just a general PSA. Like I, I think I mentioned it in the first episode, go, if you, if you have mental health issues, it's not that it's not a sign of weakness to go seek help. It's, it's showing that you're taking the responsible steps to fix yourself and i almost say it's a sign of bravery it is those are hard conversations one of the one of the best things that i ever heard about it is mental health isn't your fault but it's your responsibility to take care of it Mm -hmm. that's a good one so if if any of you out there are struggling reach out to someone if if it whether it be a friend a family member a therapist anyone that you have available to you just make sure that you take steps to prevent something that you're going to regret down the line. So, mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that kind of wraps up our two-part series on the Yorkshire Ripper. It was quite the ride. It was. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know, a full three hours on yeah. one topic. <laughs> Thanks, that, for, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, yeah. thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for joining us again. This one was a little bit better for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always part of the, I mean, Austin said the same thing. He's the only other two-time guest, so which one will be the first three-time guest? <laughs> and I guess you guys will have to get in the boxing ring and just settle it that way. <laughs> Ooh, we'll do like a little Barstool Sports, like a rough and rowdy. <laughs> Not to plug another podcast. On Billy Empire, Football. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keys and Jose can like, <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm glad you could uh, make it back for the two-part series so that we could Heck yeah, close out the entire saga. Yeah. <laughs> the two-time champ. Two trader. Oh, so man. what was your first podcast experience like, if you had to describe it? The first one? Well, this overall, like your experience. Well, doing the first this. one, I was terrified. I was a little shaky. I felt like I was in speech class. But <laughs> this one, I had a little more alcohol. I was a little more comfortable. I don't know, the second one was a lot more fun. Yeah. And it's kind of how I was after, because I had done a couple podcasts before this one, nothing like too in-depth, but I uh, I kind of noticed that just doing stuff like this in general kind of helped me with my speaking to others like outside of this too. It's just, it made me more comfortable. Oh, I definitely agree. Like even in my actual job job, like I'll say more things during meetings and I've also noticed I am just long-winded AF now, <laughs> just in any conversations. I've also noticed that just the things that I research are just like not good public conversation talk for when you're meeting people. <laughs> <laughs> just like all of my brain is filled with just alien knowledge, serial right. killers, Russian famines. Like, <laughs> so what are some of your hobbies? Well, and you pull out a, a scroll yeah. of just random just history. A, pull out a whiteboard. It's just like, what did you know? <laughs> yeah. So I brought my smart board with me with this interactive presentation. You're in for a real ride, so buckle up. <laughs> let, let me just ask you, do you want me to isolate you from the rest of your family? <laughs> but yes, thank you. And a lot. Roswell. <laughs> <laughs> thank you a lot, Drew, for filling in. It, it was really fun having you on, and I'm, Heck yeah, I'm I had glad a blast, you were here. Guys. So hopefully you can come, maybe hang out while we record some of the other episodes. Oh, I'll come just, again. just be the peanut gallery and hang out. <laughs> but uh Evan, do you want to plug all of our socials real quick before we get out of here? Let him look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Literally what I was just about to do. I knew, like... I'll add in mine. We're getting to that point in the story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any socials. Well, I'll say, do you want to plug your TikTok? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, for the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm definitely not stalling. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find myself at Wadevskis, at Jacob, at Jacob from Wisco, at Mark, at Mark underscore Stein B. And then on Instagram, you can find us at Gems of History Podcast with a underscore underneath or in between each word. And, and you can find me at Evan on Instagram and Jacob <laughs> at, uh, at that underscore shop underscore guy. There you go. Um, and then you guys can contact us at our email, obviously at gems of history podcast at gmail.com, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. If you like what you hear, it does help us out. It gives us more exposure to the charts and stuff like that. So people can find us easier. Also, what? if you, we do have extra shirts. Left I over was from actually going to mention that. Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. You already started. Go ahead. Ah, 
So we do have a lot of extra shirts left over. Um, just email us, DM us your size or anything. Um, we can still create donations to the children's hospital. Um, maybe not through the GoFundMe. I believe the GoFundMe is still up, but you can donate there or you can just essentially just DM one of us. Yeah, uh, we can we can we can work it out. Yeah. So we do have plenty of shirts left over. Just let us know. <laughs> Um, and we can find a way to get that to you. All right, I just got one request. Uh, you think we could uh, make any of those shirts a V-neck? <laughs> <laughs> just want to try Why, something. Why, you want to wear two at a time? <laughs> I just want to try some things, okay? You want to wear one normal, one upside down, or what? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting sick of my old boxers. Spice things up in the bedroom, or what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, If you guys. ask me for... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Contact us there if you need to get in touch. Otherwise, that's all we got for you this week. Thank you again for Drew joining us for the two-part episodes. And then we'll be back with you next week with uh, another episode. I think I'm in charge of that one. So Yes, sir. See what I can come up with before then. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. But we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, everyone. Later, guys.